of your eye. Huddled in the darkest shadows of imagination, it waits. Now is the time to face the fear. Welcome to Horror Lasagna. Embrace the trepidation. Today, uh, this is like fourth movie now, uh, and we're going to yeah. talk about Triangle. And I've got a lot of notes for this one. Excellent. Um, yeah, Triangle. Uh, this movie. Now, this is the first one. I mentioned this to you that had some big name faces, not, you know, Brad Pitt, big name, but faces and names that I recognized. Um, it had one of the Hemsworth brothers. So it it's, it, if you don't, don't look at the screen, it can sound like Thor is in the movie. Yeah. Uh, kind of slightly ruder, dumber Thor, which is. <laughs> Let's know, hope he of, doesn't listen to this. So. That's right. No, that was his character. That, you yeah, know. true, true. Uh, the movie came out in 2009. Um, it was written and directed by the same guy, a guy named Christopher Smith. Um, it was not. It sounds his... fake, but okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, Christopher Smith has, uh, if I had to guess, about eight maybe 10 movies on his resume at present. Um, and I was really shocked to find that uh, Triangle is the third of the ones that I've seen. Uh, it's the third one that's actually on my list. Uh, he also, and uh, this is very telling, I think, uh, he directed Creep. Um, if, you, if you're not familiar with it, I did not like it. It's not a great movie. It's a found footage slash fake snuff film. Um, and I actually found the characters so annoying um, that there was no one to really root for throughout the movie. So, yeah, I didn't enjoy it. In fact, Creep 2 is out already. Um, he didn't have anything to do with it, but I can't quite bring myself to watch it just because it has the same guy who was in the first one. That's fine. Uh, the second movie that he made that was also on the list is an excellent movie. And in fact, it's on the short list for this season. It didn't make it for this season. Maybe a future one is the black death. Oh, um, that sounds pleasant and fun. It's a period piece about the black death. Um, and Sean Bean is in that. Oh, another big name. <laughs> yes. Another big name. Right. Does he die? So that's a little bit debatable okay. uh, because in the official release, I believe he does, but there is a completely recorded alternate ending where he does not. Oh, wow. And it's actually my preferred ending between the two. Huh. Okay. Well, that's uh, and oddly yeah. enough, that one's happier. Yeah. Usually mm. I like the, you know, alternative endings that were too dark for screen. This one's, this one's a little bit happier. So. Yeah, Christopher Smith is really um, hit and miss. Uh, you know, he's not like Shyamalan kind of hit and miss. His batting average is a little better than that. But um, yeah, some of his movies I enjoy and some of them I'm not crazy about. Um, he did the cast. Uh, 
you pointed out that he had some big names in it. For instance, the biggest name that's in it really is Liam Hemsworth. Um, but if you look at it, you could make the argument that this was his first movie. Okay. Um, he was in two movies in 2009, um, and this was one of them. And before that, everything else he had done before that was all television work in Australia. So um, he wasn't like a household name or anything like that, it, you know, like his brothers. But the main character in the story is a character named Jess, and that um, was played by Melissa George. And Melissa George um, has one of those kind of faces that you're like, I know you from somewhere. But when you're hard pressed to say where, it becomes very tricky. That's exactly what I thought. Right. So I went through and looked and she's been in a lot of movies. Um, She was in Mulholland Drive, a David Lynch film. Impressive. Um, She was also in uh, the remake of the Amityville Horror. Not oh, okay. as impressive, but she was in that. But it's a known movie to a lot it of people. It's a known movie, but she was in my favorite, well, my second favorite vampire movie of all time, 30 Days of Night. Okay. Um, That's probably where I recognized her from. Could be. Um, and she's been in a whole lot of other movies, but they're not necessarily the kind of movies that I would watch, so I don't recognize any of them. Got it. Okay. The rest of the cast, and this is um, this is the funny thing, because you were like, there's people in there that I recognize. Uh, the rest of the cast, uh, Michael Dorman and Henry Dixon, Emma Lung, all of them have had parts in other movies, but they all have one important trait, which is what got them into Triangle. And that important trait is that Triangle is another strange amalgamation film it is a British-funded film. It got money from Great Britain. Um, the film was shot in Australia, um, in Queensland, Australia, and the setting of the movie is in South Florida. So they are pretending to be in Florida while they're in Australia being bankrolled by England. From the National Lottery. <laughs> Correct. The, Which uh, I thought was a great way to use funds. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sh- screw the schools. Yeah. Let's make some movies. <laughs> uh, the thing that ties all of these actors together is they are all from Australia or New Zealand. Okay. Every single one of them. Uh, so they didn't have to go far. They didn't have to pay to transport anybody. They didn't have to pay, you know, to house somebody. This, you know. Um, so I think that's probably... They might say, oh, no, no, no. Melissa George was just perfect for Jess. But let's be honest. It was probably just, she's here. She's available. She's good enough to do the part. Let's hire her. <laughs> uh, as far as category for this movie, I, um, I I have a subcategory of my own. And I just call it a horror loop. And it is a movie where um, you find yourself stuck in a situation that continues to repeat over and over and over again. And sometimes um, in some movies, there's a way out of it. Like you keep going until you get it right, much like Groundhog's Day. Um, But then other times it's not. There's no way out. And it's just a loop that you have to continue experiencing. And I I mentioned this to you, that 
you really liked the movie. I was eh about it. And I think part of the reason, or the major reason is, even though it's a horror movie, which could probably be debated and argued, uh, it's mostly a time travel loop movie. And I didn't see anything special in it compared to some of the others out there, like Inception or Looper. Uh, it, I was like, okay, I've seen those. So I've kind of seen this just that they tried to make it horror. So to me, I was like, eh, with the whole movie. So um, the difference between Looper and Inception and this for me is that in Inception and Looper, the characters, at least one of them knows what the hell's going on. Which she does kind of start to figure it out. She does towards the end. Um, but then when everything starts all over again, you're left to wonder, does she carry that information with her or not? Right. True. Um, in which case, this is just a never ending process for her. <laughs> it's a choose your own adventure without <laughs> yes. the end. Yes. And what, when I say horror loop, I started thinking, well, how many other movies are actually, you know, would fit that category. And I was surprised there's quite a few and I've seen lots of them. And some of them are really good. Uh, Blood Punch, Camp Slaughter, uh, The Endless, Final Girls. Love Final um, Girls. And it is a, a, a horror loop. I just um, heard ha- a reference to that last night. Oh, it's a great movie. Happy Death Day. Um, I thought that was going to be stupid. Was happily surprised when I watched it. Um, the Hunger. uh the road, not the famous one that everyone thinks of, a smaller budget one that came out. So a smaller road, yes, a street, really, more of a street than a road. <laughs> Cobblestone. So uh, horror loops are not unheard of, um, and it's it's just a kind of niche thing, and they work really well for a twist until you realize what's going on, and then once you realize what's going on, it becomes a matter of well, what kind is this going to end up being? Which is funny you say that because, okay, so first of all, the name, which I'm sure we'll get into a little more here, Triangle. Being who I am, my first thought is, oh, Bermuda Triangle. Me too. Uh, That was my first thought. So I'm like, oh, cool. But honestly, maybe this is what partly uh, did me in on the movie was when they were on the boat and, you know, the storm and all that. But then they got that radio call and they're like, it was all statically, and they're like, oh, who is this? And the, no answer. I'm like, oh, man, that's them calling themselves, isn't it? This is going to be some time loop thing. And maybe that kind of ruined it because I wasn't in suspense anymore. I was like, okay, I know what's going on. So honestly, that could have done it for me. And, and it very well could have. Uh, I think I told you this story. This was back when I was just taking suggestions, like online going to the library and checking these movies out. And so this was a title that came up. I checked it out of the library. I looked at the case and I'm like, triangle. Okay. This is going to be some cheesy flick. The Bermuda triangle. It looks like there's a guy with a bag on his head and a gun. Maybe there's pirates involved. Um, So, you know, it might just be a fun romp. And then it really wasn't. And when I think about it, of all of the horror loop movies that I've seen, this was really the first. Everything so it else, was different. Yeah, it was very different. But to your point, um, while I was w- making notes on this the other night, I was watching it um, with two of my kids, and my youngest son, within 30 minutes, like had the whole thing cracked. 
he was like, oh, this is what's going to end up happening. Oh, oh. And I'm like, well, you know, there's still going to be at least one or two surprises for you. And there were. Uh, the movie keeps dropping like at least a shocking scene or just a little something all along the way. So you don't completely uh, lose interest in the movie. It, it but. felt a lot like the old school adventure games we used to play, like Labyrinth or something it, it, that you're going around and you, you get the locket and then something different happens and it, you know, it opens up new avenues. I, I mean, it really felt like an adventure game. Yeah. Like fetch quests. Yeah. So um, again, we're going to talk about it in depth. So if you don't want anything spoiled, go see it now, go watch it now. Pause. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back. Um, like I was telling my kids when I was watching it, uh, the credits were starting and I'm like, the first five minutes of this movie are deliberately confusing. Yes. And You're- that was my first thought. I was like, and I, knowing I'm watching a horror movie, knowing that, you know, this is the first couple minutes. It was like, wow, there is a lot left out here. There's a lot going on that they're not showing. Right. Right. Um, but it makes you think one way of the mother. Yeah. And um, as an aside, uh, you and I were having a conversation the other night about a movie that I had just watched. And I was like, uh, the movie is actually talking about the difficulties of living with an autistic child. And that theme is so heavily handed dealt with in it. It distracts from the rest of the movie. This movie is just the opposite where you have the difficulties of living with an autistic child, but it's so subtly mixed in there. You almost miss it. Yeah. Yeah. Until like the very end. And um, that I did like about it, that that whole opening sequence, uh, if you watch it, your feelings towards it and what happens changes. Right. And that was probably my favorite part of the whole movie, really. Yeah. Um, so the movie opens uh, with a woman, uh, Jess, who is uh, getting ready for something. Uh, she has her son there. Um, he's painting. Um, there's. It's very disjointed in the way it's shot. There's little clips of this. There's a boat out in the pool and she's picking it up. And then the next thing you know, she's cleaning something off the floor. And then the next thing you know, um, she's holding her son. And this is the first hint that you have that anything's really wrong. She's holding her son. He's clearly upset. She's crying. And she's saying something about it's just a dream. What you're seeing isn't real. And then she's doing something else and then she's cleaning the floor and the doorbell rings and she goes to answer the door and there's no one there. She asks her neighbor, Jack, uh, Jack, did you see who rang my doorbell? And of course Jack didn't. She packs her bag, gets in the car and drives off. And that's kind of how the whole thing starts. And it has the feeling almost of a dream. Yeah, very much. And if if you reflect on dreams after you've woken up, you know, dreams go from point A to point L to point Q, and every point in between just kind of disappears. And that's a lot of what the beginning felt like. Um, Now, when um, Smith was making this movie, he had said that he wanted it to be uh, like Jacob's Ladder, 
but he wanted to keep away from those Jacob Ladder elements, which, um, you know, Jacob's Ladder, one of my top 10 movies. Great movie. Um, yeah, and it was so genre-defining, like, the entire, you can't tell me the entire Silent Hill series was not, like, lifted from the visuals of that movie. And so I can see where if you were going to try and make something that was vaguely similar to that, you would want to steer clear of that because it's like, I don't know, say a cover band playing Stairway to Heaven. You know, you're never going to compare to the original. It's been done so many times. Why would you do that to yourself? Um, so Christopher Smith was veering away from that. But one of the other movies that he loved a lot is another one of my top 10 movies, and that's The Shining. Okay. And there are elements of Kubrick shining laced throughout this movie. Yeah. Now that you mention it. Yeah. Very much so. The very first one is when the doorbell rings and she opens the door and she's standing there. Her house number is two, three, seven. And if you're familiar with the shining two, three, seven is the room where the ghost of the lady in the bathtub attacks little Jack. Right. Um, And it's, kind of like the heart of evil in that building in the shining. So I found that interesting. Um, There's an entire, have you seen the movie two, three, seven? Oh no. Oh, it is a documentary. Um, And it has about five well-researched, well-thought-out, completely off-the-wall conspiracy theories about Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. Nice. And some of them are grounded in 100% fact, and then other ones are like, it's all a metaphor for secrets he knew about them faking the moon landing. I mean, it's that kind of stuff. You really should see that. If you haven't seen I'll it, have to look it up. it's amazing. Um, so you see the car going down the road. Looking back on it, realizing that it's... Um, shot in Australia. They did an amazing job of making it look and feel like Florida. Right. I thought. Except for some crazy guy on the side of the road, uh, you know, eating his own hand or something. Yeah. 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 Right. Right. Yeah. No Florida man. But, um, the next thing you know, she's at the pier and she's walking down the pier, um, with Victor, who is played by, um, <laughs> Hemsworth. Hemsworth. I almost said Liam Neeson. I was like, no, that's a very different movie. Um, He's walking down uh, the gangplank towards this boat. Oh, they don't even, it's the first shot is of the bow of the boat. And the boat is called the triangle. And I was like, okay, so maybe it's not Bermuda triangle. It's the reference to the boat, but it could be both. At this point in time, I've, first thought this is still going to be the Bermuda Triangle. This is just irony that their boat happens to be named after it. The captain of the boat is a guy named Greg. Greg lives on the boat. He has uh, three bedrooms and that's where he stays. He and um, Victor, who you find out is just some guy that he met and they started talking and got along. So the two of them live on the boat. Um. And for anyone who thinks that sounds odd, it's not as strange as you might think. I had a cousin who, um, for a very long time, lived on a boat um, and just would pull into different ports all along the Atlantic seacoast, 
depending on what time of year it was. And that's where they would stay for, you know, three or four months and then head somewhere else. So Hugh Howie does that now. He's a independent author and a season of MacGyver. He lived on a houseboat. So yeah, (laughs) it's, it's, it's not an unheard of thing. Um, so you have Greg and his friends show up. Um, he has two friends, two childhood friends show up, Downey and Sally. And um, Downey and Sally are married. Um, Sally seems kind of like mm, a little bit of a Karen. She's uh, pretty <laughs> used to getting her way. Yeah. And uh, she knows how to say things and make things happen. So she gets her way. They, they definitely look like the type holding the martini on the boat going, Marge, would you bring me another? You know? <laughs> yes. When they when they finally leave port, I I think I turned to my son and I'm like the professor and Marianne. <laughs> of course, the joke was lost on him because he's 14. He's never seen that show, but uh, yeah. And Downey is like your typical like rich drunk playboy. In fact, at some point during the opening, Victor says, "Hey Downey, can you give me a hand with this?" And he's like, "No, I'm here as a guest of the captain." So. I mean, he's being a smart ass about it, but still, he doesn't get up to help him. He just stays where he's at and continues drinking. They have brought along with them um, Heather, played by Emma Lung. Um, Heather is Sally's friend, and Sally has brought Heather to hook up with Greg. That's the whole reason she's brought her. And you find out uh, through dialogue in this opening act that uh, Sally doesn't care for Jess. She thinks that Jess is just there after Greg's money which he's living in a boat. I don't know how much money he's got, but um, yeah, that's, that's Sally's opinion of Jess. I think she just kind of wants to control everybody. Yes. uh, That she knows best. And this may come up as we talk about it, but I really questioned the inclusion of Heather as a character in the whole story. She doesn't really help the story much in any way other than for you to go, Oh, they're going to set her up with this. And then he ignores her. But really, if you take her out of it, it wouldn't have changed the dynamic between him and Sally and then him and Jess very much. So um, movies do this sometimes. And this is just a guess of mine based on comments that I've read uh, around this movie. Um, sometimes a movie will have a famous star in the movie and they're only in it for five minutes, but that famous star gets like top billing that they're there to help people go see the movie. Right. Um, while we're on this slight aside, the movie cost $12 million to make and it made cost $12 million to make because Smith was big into not using green screen. So like that's, that's pretty cool the model of the giant ship is actually a stage built model of a giant ship. Wow. Um, the movie only grossed 1.3 million. Yeah. Now it's also important to point out that this movie never, ever released into us theaters, which does make it difficult to get a hold of. Right. Um, so, but I do believe if you go through everyone on here, if you happen to be in Australia, Emma Lung is someone that you know. That's probably one of the other ones I was thinking of. Yeah. She is very, very big in Australian television. Okay. She's been in a lot of Australian TV shows. Um, 
And so some of the comments that I read were like, imagine having Emma Lung, you know, in your show and only having her in it for, so, you know, for 15 minutes. And, it, and I was like, Emma who? But <laughs> uh, apparently she's well known elsewhere. So. Okay. So that makes more sense. I mean, because, you know, that's a Hollywood type thing to do. And it that is, makes yeah. sense. But from a story and movie standpoint, she's completely unneeded. <laughs> You might think. Okay, um, so prove prove me wrong, or tell me how I'm wrong when we get to it. That's good. Okay. So, um, Victor and Jess are walking down the gangplank. Um, Sally is very interested in introducing Greg to Heather, and she's just in the process of doing that, and Greg notices Jess. Greg obviously has a thing for Jess because he tells them to just wait right there and rushes off the gangplank to go meet her. Um, he has a few words, a few brief words with Victor as they pass because Victor's walking in front of her and he asks Victor, is everything all right? And Victor says, Oh, I don't think so, dude. And walks past. And then you see Heather and she seems shook. Jess. Jess. Yeah. I'm sorry. You see, you see Jess and she seems like she's been shaken. Um, and you're not really sure why, because last you saw, she was just driving from her house she was walking up with Victor. You know, did he say something or who knows what actually happened? And we did see at the opening sequence, she finds that note on the fridge, you know, be at the harbor at 830. And that's yep. when she grabs her son. Yeah, so you, the whole opening sequence, it's like she's getting ready to leave. She's having trouble dealing with an autistic son who's kind of holding her back a little bit. She wants to get going. Uh, and then they take off and she shows up, doesn't have her son with her. Not a big deal. Right. Um, so she's there. Uh, Greg walks up to her and says, hey, you all right? And she leans in and gives him a hug and leans in close and whispers, I'm sorry. At the time, you're like, she's running late? But of course, you know, looking back on it now, maybe even not having seen it. If I was watching it now as the guy who's, you know, logged in over a thousand horror movies, that's a flag that she's apologizing for something that the audience doesn't know what yet. And I find it interesting because out of all the loop movies we were talking about, this is the only one I can think of that doesn't start with the first iteration. It's somewhere in the middle. We don't know that right now, but it's right. not the very first time. And as the guy who saw it and thought this is a Bermuda Triangle thing and there's going to be pirates, my thought was that like maybe she was tied in with the pirates and uh, like and she had set sold, them up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and everything up to this point didn't dissuade me from that. However, I didn't know what the hell I was talking about and I couldn't have been farther from the truth. So, um, he brings, fail. <laughs> <laughs> he brings her on board the boat, um, introduces her to everybody. Um, and then the boat pulls out. And as the boat pulls out, there's this aerial shot. One of the other things that I think is um, key to mention, there's an element that occurs throughout this movie. And it occurs in the opening. It occurs during the introduction. It occurs through the whole thing and that are seagulls seagulls are a major character in this film 
and um, not even necessarily. I mean, they use seagulls in the same way most movies do with symbolically representing as they're flying away, you know, like souls and everything like that. But seagulls take on a much weightier role in this movie as we go on. And, you know, we'll cover that. Could it, I, I also was wondering if it could be related to the old sea legend of the albatross and it wasn't really the albatross, but you know, most people might not know that. Right. Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. Um, there's a point later on, much later in the film, uh, where Bird gets killed. And that was my thought, was that it was an albatross. But once you see the bird being moved, it's obviously not an albatross because they have like a six foot wingspan. Um, but Well, with only a 12 million budget, maybe he couldn't afford the best albatross to... That's, that's true because that would have been like icing on the cake right there. If, <laughs> right. if it had been like an albatross, take my money. Cause right. that would have just been perfect. <laughs> um, so they, uh, they start sailing off now in accordance with the confusing opening that's happened so far, anything that has to do with Jess seems disjointed and confusing everything that has every anyone else involved just seems like everyone else is involved. It seems like a regular, like almost TV sitcom kind of thing. Um, the next scene you see is rolling water. Um, as waves are coming into the shore, something's being thrown about in the waves, crashing with the waves. Uh, you see a real extreme close up of crabs scuttling through the sand. And then you see Jess apparently lying in the sand and she opens her eyes and then suddenly she's back on the boat and you realize, Oh, it was a dream. And I also found it very weird. You just got on the boat uh, to go sailing with your friends and you're going to take a nap. It was was very odd. It was. However, you know, it, it plays out in the end. Yeah. Um, she wakes up Heather standing at the doorway. Um, turns out that she informs Jess she's been asleep for like three hours. This is a long cruise they're on. Um, More than a three-hour cruise, obviously. That's right. (laughs) Uh, She's got champagne because obviously nobody ever gets together on the weekends without champagne. Um, And she and Jess go up topside together. Now you get this interaction where uh, Jess is interacting with Greg and he's showing her how to steer the boat. She's like, which way do I steer? And he just kind of points and goes, aim for that. And there's nothing out there. I don't know what he's pointing at. It's open ocean. But so she aims for that. Um, And you hear a bird keening overhead. And she looks up and Greg's like, oh, it's a seagull. It thinks that we're a charter boat. And typically when charter boats go out, uh, when they're coming back, they have fish that are being gutted and cleaned by the staff that you've paid to, you know, so when you get back, all you get are fillets, you know, everything's perfect. And the seagulls will follow those boats because all that offal just gets tossed out over the edge and the birds can come down and, you know, easy meal. So he's like, it thinks that we're a charter bird. It's going to be disappointed and go home hungry. There's some foreshadow for you (laughs) right there on the wings of that gull. Uh, and this is the point where we realize that um, um, 
Sally is a manipulative bitch and you hear the conversation between her and Heather where she's saying, I don't like Jess. She's just some gold digger you really need. And Heather's like, I like Victor, actually. Um, Of course, Sally, as you said, wanting to control everything is like, no, no Victor for you. (laughs) And she didn't like Jess because Jess has an autistic son. And oh, how could you? Like, Wow. The, the, yes. the shallowest person you could get. <laughs> yeah, she is. She is probably the most stereotypical character in this movie. Um, Heather walks over to the two of them, um, and lets Jess know that uh, Sally wants to talk to her, which is Sally's ploy to get her away from Greg. Um, and then she proceeds to, after Jess leaves, she proceeds to tell Greg, I'm really not interested in you, by the way. Just pointing that out. Um, whatever Which happened- I think was actually good of her. It's like, look, I know it's uncomfortable. I, I know you know why I'm here, but look, let's just go on with it because it's not going to happen. I, it's fine. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, way back at the start. When Greg is talking to Jess on the gangplank, I just finally looked down at my notes. <laughs> uh, he says two things which are very heady points while he's talking to her. She seems upset. She apologizes. He's like, you don't have anything to apologize for. He says, you can't be everywhere at the same time. Um, which becomes ironic here in just 15 minutes. And then he also says, you're a good mother, which could be seen as a bit of a leap, seeing as how he knows her because she's a waitress at a diner that he frequents. I used to go uh, to a restaurant in Talmadge frequently for lunch, so much so that the waitress knew my order. I never had to order what I wanted. She just knew what it was, and she would bring it whenever we'd show up. Amazing waitress. We tipped her well. I don't know if she's got kids. I don't know what kind of mom she is. I'm not inviting her on my yacht. But he was also going there because he was interested in her. That's so true. even if he did or didn't know anything about her, he knew she had a son. And, you know, that's something you say to console somebody. And also if you're trying to flirt with them a little bit, you know, well, thank you for saying that. I, you know, so I just took yep. it as that. Okay. You're just, you're like, he's a player. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm already going, yeah, I know where this movie's going. <laughs> <laughs> um, they're out sailing, and suddenly the wind drops. It doesn't just drop. It just stops. Like somebody hit a switch, and the fans went off. So the boat is dead in the water. Which, if you've ever been out on the water, is extremely rare. Yeah, you might have a dip in wind speed, but not like just sudden instant doldrums like that. Right. That's, that's not something that time. happens. Right. Yeah. Jess gets worried and um, asks Greg if this is going to be a problem because she has to get back to get her son from school. That is something she said to Victor, which threw him off. She said, uh, he asked about her son, and he said, she said, he's not coming with us. He's at school. And that struck Victor as odd because it was Saturday. But then Greg points out uh, he's at a special needs school. They're open all the time. Um, so she says to Greg, she's concerned about getting back and Greg's like, don't worry about it. We've got a motor on this boat for us comes to worse. We'll just turn the motor on. And it's right about now that, um, Downey makes his contribution to the film 
one of the two, and points out that there is a huge black storm cloud headed their way. Um, Greg does, you know, what I think is a pretty sensible thing. First, he hits the radio, calls the Coast Guard, and says, hey, uh, you guys got anything? And the Coast Guard's like, no. Up to this point, the first time I saw this, this is all playing into my um, Bermuda Triangle theory. But they say no. And he's like, oh, okay, because I'm looking at it. It's coming. And now a voice breaks through on the radio. It's a female voice. And it says, help us. She's killing everyone. And um, Greg, being the responsible captain that he is, is trying to get information to help. He's like, distressed callers, repeat you know, uh, broadcast again. And he asked the Coast Guard if they heard anything. And then the line, the line, line, the radio basically goes dead. He comes back and you can see the wall of water that is the rain coming down. And I, just as an aside, I love that. Not necessarily in this movie, but in real life where you can see the storm right. coming and you can yeah. actually see yeah, where the rain's coming. That's always fun. Um, so it looks like this boat's about to get tossed around. And it does. <laughs> um, Greg sends everybody below decks to put on uh, life jackets and stay down there. And my son's like, is that a good decision? And I was like, well, on a sailboat, there's a lot of stuff that has to happen up top in a storm. And you don't want people in the way who don't know what's what's happening. And so, the chance of being washed over, too. Right. Because you get, you get these rogue waves that are big, comes over the top, it'll wash you off. So everybody goes below. And um, just for anyone that hasn't seen the movie, this isn't like a cruise ship. There's not deck space. I mean, they're hanging on to lines and walking the edge of the boat. You know, you've probably yeah. seen that. It's it's a small little craft. Yeah, it's it's bigger than, you know, uh, it's it's bigger than a ski boat for sure. <laughs> yes. Um, but it's got like probably a top deck and then rooms below. And the rooms below are probably you know, if I had to guess, I would bet this is a 30, maybe 40 foot boat. Yeah, you're not holding a dance party below decks. You are not. No, you're not even really standing upright. You're <laughs> right. kind of hunched. Um, So they're down there and uh, Greg and Victor are giving it their all, trying to, you know, save this boat. They're cutting sails and doing whatever they possibly can. And then there's that uh, whole, the perfect storm scene where there's just this wall of water as a wave comes and you're like, there's nothing this boat's doing. They turned the wrong way. This it's, it's just over. Yeah. That's the first thing I noticed too. It's like, Oh yeah, that's not good. (laughs) Yeah. Um, the long and short of it is when it's all said and done, the boat is upside down. Uh, the keel's broken. You can see like the keel is broken. Everybody's on top of the boat with the exception of Heather who got washed out to sea. So we don't know where Heather went, but Bye she's Heather. not there. Goodbye, Heather. Which now, actually may have been the, the best thing to happen <laughs> to her. So, and we had this debate when I was watching it with my kids. Um, it turns out in the long run, this is something that Jess is basically causing to happen by repeating certain actions over and over and over again. 
on the one hand, you could see the Heather character as the human sacrifice necessary to get the ball rolling. Oh, good point. Yeah, there you go. Um, then the, uh, the debate that we were having afterwards is knowing what happens to everyone else. Do you consider Heather the lucky one? That's what because I... Because she dies by drowning. As far as we know. Right. Over and over and over again. As opposed to everyone else who dies a violent death over and over and over again. So I guess it's a question of, okay, would you so, rather drown? But where does it start, though? See, I took it that wall of water. Once they were through that, that's where the looping stuff started. So Heather kind of got thrown at the beginning of that. So that part probably only happened once in the timeline. Except the very oh. end of the movie. True. Yeah. It's all right. certain again. You're right. You're right. That to- that Okay. Um, Jess is legitimately concerned now about actually making it back in time to get her son. <laughs> it doesn't look like she's going to be there for the three o'clock pickup. Um, and just about the time people are really starting to worry, this giant boat starts appears on the horizon and it's a big old cruiser, uh, passenger luxury cruise liner, not like modern era ones. It's not like, you know, the kind that carry an entire city, but it's still a very, very big boat. Like it a, was a, very imposing. I mean, it's yes. almost like a battleship. Yeah. Um, it turns out it looks like that. Cause it was built in 1923 when they, you know, everything they built could be a battleship at the time. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it, I, I think that's one of the beauties of not doing it on green screen building that giant model makes it imposing. You know what I mean? It was. There's actually a lot of weight to the whole thing. It feels like, you know, there's a lot there. I don't know. Maybe I'm sure CGI could have easily done something just as imposing. It's just, I don't know. Me and Colin have that discussion and we totally love practical effects as opposed to CGI for the most part. I mean, there's a lot of, good cgi has done in recent years and you really can't tell sometimes you know and you need cgi for some of the stuff that's going about nowadays but when you can get it those practical effects still look superb and i guarantee 20 years from now that effect will probably look better to us than marvel movies that's a really good point practical effects really don't age a whole lot if they're done well yeah um, as opposed to, you know, digital effects will age just because the technology, you know, you, you're, you get used to the new technology. You know, I still think the ad at scene in empire strikes back looks really good. I love that scene. Um, so they're all going to get on this boat. They see somebody like on one of the upper decks. They're like, look, there's somebody there. And. The boat pulls up alongside, they get onto the boarding ramp, they climb up the boat, and it seems like the boat is completely abandoned. It oh. looks like there's no one around. There goes the Bermuda Triangle part now. <laughs> yes. Now I'm just waiting for the pirates, right? <laughs> Keep going. Keep waiting. <laughs> yeah. Um, so there's some discussion about who's going to do what, and this is 
this is where it gets a little confusing um, because I thought they were going to split up. I thought that Greg and Jess were going to go find the captain in the pilot house and everybody else was going to, but they all end up together anyways. Yeah. Um, once they step into the corridors of the ship, that's where uh, uh, the second really heavy uh, influence of the shining comes through. Walking down those corridors felt just like you're at the Overlook Hotel. Yeah, you know, I just see Jess riding a big wheel down down the aisle. I mean, it has that same kind of repetitive, monotonous look to it that you had in there. The name of the ship is the Aeolus. And um, this is interesting to me because he wanted to do a Sisyphusian type story without making it seem like it. So he picked Sisyphus's father, Aeolus. Um, Aeolus was uh, a god of the winds in ancient Greek. Um, in the post, in the Hellenistic Greek period, uh, he was a mortal. He was a king whose mother was Helen, the face that launched a thousand ships. His son was Sisyphus. Um, and just for anybody listening, Sisyphus uh, tricks death um, and chains death into a chest. And everybody stops dying. Yay! <laughs> um, Ares gets pissed, because what's the point of having a war if people aren't dying? And so he goes and frees death, and they punish Sisyphus by forcing him to roll a massive boulder up a hill just for it to get to the top and then roll all the way back down. And then this is what he does for eternity. So we've got two big themes from the movie. No death. Yep. <laughs> and repeating the right. same thing over and over. Yes. Which um, I thought was really great tying it in that way. Yeah. Uh, I loved that part of it. Well, and to me, especially once you have the whole story, like all complete, um, Jess is trying to cheat death. Mm-hmm. And as punishment for cheating death, Jess has to roll this boulder up this mountain and down again and up yep. the mountain and down again for eternity. Yep. So if you're paying attention, you, you just figured out the movie, essentially. And right about here is where Price is like, oh, I know what's going on. I mean, like he saw he had the whole thing done. Um, everybody walks down into a ballroom. There's a whole banquet th- thing of food there. No people still. And so they're um, hanging out, um, eating apples and bananas. I don't know. If I suddenly showed up and there's a giant buffet table, that's not the first thing I'm going to eat right. myself. I mean, it's going to be a dessert end, right? <laughs> well, it was also, I was looking to see, because they flashed it. I was like, okay, is the food like all moldy and rotten and stuff? And it wasn't. Uh, which made it even creepier actually with nobody around. Right. What's this fresh food doing here? Yeah. It's a horror movie. It's supposed to be like rotten. (laughs) Right. Um, Along the way, this is where it gets hard to tell the story. Like if you don't have the script or you're not going through it scene by scene, because this stuff just starts happening. Like they hear somebody drop something and uh, Victor goes to investigate and it's a pair of keys. It's a set of keys turns out it's jess's keys um sally sees those and assumes since jess had them on board the ship that 
Heather grabbed them, and Heather must be on board, and she must be alive. And that is Sally's annoying point from now until farther into the movie. Heather? You just hear her walking around the boat going, Heather? Heather, are you there? It gets to be a little bit over the top. But, you know, um, that doesn't necessarily make a movie bad. Right. Um, Again, The Shining, one of my favorite movies, but Sally Duvall in that movie is like over the top hysterical to the point you just want to slap her. Doesn't take away from the movie, in my opinion. Um, So they're going to split up. Greg is going to go look for something. Who knows what Greg's going to go look for? But, you know, he's acting still as captain on board this ship. Um, So he and Jess are going together to go look for something. Victor walks off following a noise that he heard down a hall. And so Greg tells um, Downey and Sally to just wait there. So we have everybody placed. One of the things um, that they do frequently in this movie is there are reflective surfaces. And there will be multiple reflective surfaces, like a wall of slats of mirror. And Jess will walk past them. And they will purposely shoot it in the reflection. So you see her going from mirror slice to mirror slice. Um, This is a theme that they use on board the boat a lot. Yeah. Um, And it becomes evident over time, there's several different Jesses on this boat. And so the mirror is kind of like that fragmentation of Jess as she goes past. Um, They're walking around. They're uh, checking for stuff. And um, I'm trying to think. I don't think they find anything else concrete. Um, no, and and the, so it's so being a loop movie, and like you said, things start happening, uh, and it ends up being them from other loops, uh, and it does get hard to talk about, but it, it builds very well. That's why I said it felt like an adventure game because the first time through, there's no clues except for the keys. And then the next time they see somebody else and then there's something else that happens and then bad stuff starts happening. And then you see, Oh, that's the blood from this bad thing. And you know, it's all these buildup of all these things happening to them. Yeah. Um, somewhere along the line, they find a room. They open the, open the door to the room. The number of that room is two, three, seven. Um, They go inside and there is a triptych of mirrors. So three mirrors, again, going with the triangle three-sided theme and written on the mirror in blood is go to the theater. Um, Which for some reason, Greg thinks is a good idea. Somebody's (laughs) going to write something in blood on a mirror. I'm going to listen to it. There were definitely a few parts of the typical stupid teenager in a horror movie stuff. You know, it's just like, what? (laughs) Why would you do that by yourself? And and not only that, he argues to convince everybody else that it's the right thing. Yes. He gets in an argument with Jess. She gets upset and walks off on her own. He decides to proceed to the theater on his own. Jess is walking along. Um. 
and she runs into Downey and Sally, and they're on their way to the theater. Because she told them to go to the theater. Well, the thing is, at this point in the movie, Jess has not told them to go to the theater. Uh, Jess goes into the ballroom um, by herself, and Victor comes walking in, and he's covered in blood. And, well, that's new. Then he starts to strangle Jess. And he is strangling Jess, and she's just flailing around and reaches around, and there is a massive hole in the back of Victor's head. And she, like, sticks her fingers in there a couple times just to get him off of her. He does eventually get off of her, and um, she gets up, and she sees something move. She sees, like, a thing of movement. And she decides, well, she's contemplating what to do about it when she hears a gunshot. Leaving Victor on the floor, uh, she heads off to where the gunshot is and walks into the theater, only to be accosted by Sally, who accuses her of shooting him. And Greg is lying on the floor in a pool of his own blood, dead. Downey's holding him. Sally's very upset, accusing Jess of shooting him. Jess is like, I, it wasn't me. I don't know what you're talking about. She's like, he said it was you. And then suddenly, this figure in the balcony, wearing coveralls and a bag over their head, raises a shotgun to their shoulder and shoots Downey. And then shoots Sally. And as the two of them are trying to limp away, shoots them both together and just takes off. Um, this is the, this is where I was like, pirates. Okay, we finally <laughs> got to the pirate part of the movie. Um, Jess is running around on the decks, being chased by this figure. Um, the figure, like, she trips. The figure puts the gun down in her face. It's getting ready to shoot her, and then when it goes to shoot her, she moves the gun to one side, and then moves the gun to the other side, and then just runs. She like jumps over the the um, edge, basically shimmies down, and you know scoots herself into the the uh, deck below. And yeah. the the gun battle and doing that, I was like, wait a second. She's been almost catatonic this whole movie. And now suddenly she's like a super action star. <laughs> Hardcore parkour. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm not going to necessarily hold that against a horror movie because people always are doing things that are uncharacteristically really well done by them in well, the horror movie without definition of why. But see, I took it at some point I said, Oh, you know what? She's already lived through this 300 times. So not only does she know what's going on, she's got the moves down pat. It's like doing the same move in martial arts over and over. You just get it down. That's uh, a good point. And you, you're much better at it. That's how I ended up taking it. When I first saw it, I was kind of like, Oh, come on. <laughs> um, eventually the two of them end up duking it out. She's got an ax. The hooded figure has this long piece of metal. They're battling it out on the on the deck. She ends up disarming the hooded figure. It's backed up against the railing. She's got the axe, and it's and it's saying in a feminine voice, "You have to kill them. You have to kill them all. It will start again when they're all dead." She swings the axe. The figure 
leans back out of the way, and falls over the railing. At this point, Jess walks over to the railing because she hears noise and looks, and there is the triangle, the boat, upside down with the crew on it headed towards the ship. Back up, because I think, okay. doesn't she hear the music first? No. She goes, oh, okay, okay. The, the okay. music immediately follows this. Okay, okay, because I, I have a point there, too. <laughs> so she hears that. Uh, it freaks her out, as it would, seeing yourself approaching where you are. Um, and she starts to walk away, and as she starts to walk away, she hears music, and it is record skipping. It and- happens to be. And when she's looking at him over the edge, they're yelling, hey, help us, help us, which is what they said earlier when they first saw the ship. Correct. One of them says, I see somebody up there on the deck. Turns out it's her. Uh, So she finds a room, uh, a cabin off to the side, goes inside. There's a record player, old wind-up Victrola kind of record player, um, and it's skipping, and the record is playing Anchors Away. You had something about this? Well, right after this. Because she, okay. she goes back out to the deck then. Okay, okay. Well, before we do that, yes, okay. um, she stops the record and starts it from the beginning, and it starts playing. And it is playing Anchors Away, and it is a recording of Glenn Miller and his orchestra playing Anchors Away. This becomes tangentially important because Glenn Miller and his orchestra went missing at sea in what they call the English Bermuda Triangle in the, in the channel between England and France on a return journey from Europe one time. And that's, that's what happened to Glenn Miller. We don't know. He disappeared. Um, so that's a really nice song choice to stick into a movie about. I, I, I will give it to, to lower budget horror movies. These guys sometimes get the, every little thing sometimes can be important. The details they... are insane. Uh, there's a car accident that happens towards the end of the movie, and there's a license plate, and somebody had commented. I didn't notice this. Somebody commented on this. The only number you can see on the license plate as they pan past is an eight, which is on its side, so it's actually so it's infinity. an infinity. <laughs> I like, didn't catch that. Okay, you're really good point. But that's the best movies and TV shows and stuff that you can see these things and interpret them different and have discussions and, you know, debates. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so she goes to leave the room. She bumps the record player and it starts playing the repeating skipping that she had heard when she first heard the music. Now, this is something you brought up. She doesn't, we don't really follow her leaving the room. We follow her reflection and the camera goes into the mirror. So now we're in the mirror universe. And I was like, Oh, that's a clever, clever way of doing that. Very silent Hill, but yeah. it's, it's the, the it's, you know, blatant. We're in a mirror reflection of life. Yes. So um, now I love that. Now we know um, as the audience that, um, this is happening over and over and over again. And you could hear, I mean, you'd have to be fairly thick to not get that the hooded figure is Jess. Right. And did you also notice she goes back to the railing there on the thing saying there's a figure and blah, blah, blah. But when they show it, it's the opposite way of the, on the ship. 
the first oh, time yeah. it was like this and she was here. Then when they showed it through the mirror, it was the other it's way. It's over there. Yeah. That's a really good point. Um, so what ends up happening is uh, there are multiple Jesses going on in this story. And you can you can chart them out, kind of. Which oh, wow. which which I did. I mean, wow. not positions, not where they're at. <laughs> but there's uh, basically three Jesses. The first Jess is the one who we're, we just finished with. And I call that Jess one. And Jess one's whole goal is we have to get home. That is her biggest concern. We have to get home, have to get back to my little boy. Jess two is where we are right now. And this Jess, it, you find out, her whole goal is to get everyone off the ship. She doesn't even care about getting home. She thinks if she can get everyone off the ship before anybody dies, she'll save them all. Jess, too, um, goes along and um, the first person she actually interacts with, she sees, she sees the whole party get on the boat walk down the hall. She hears the conversations. She's squatting down, listening to them walk. It's her keys that fall out of the pocket that makes the noise that Victor goes to investigate and come back with her keys. Right. So it's that whole uh, Time loop thing going on. Yeah, yeah. Timey wimey kind of thing <laughs> going on <Yeah>. there. <laughs> you know, she wouldn't have had her keys if she hadn't dropped them and picked them up only to drop them again later. Um, the first person of the crew that she actually, of the, um, survivors that she actually interacts with is Victor. She ends up on the deck because there's a body floating in the water, dressed all in white. Looks like it's probably Downey. Maybe it's Greg. They both were wearing all white, but there are seagulls just having a field day. Um, all of a sudden the door opens and Victor comes out and he's like, how'd you get out here so fast? Now she's trying to explain to him what's going on. And doing a piss poor job of it. And she's saying like, there's a me down there right now. Um, but you're going to be dead. And you know, these people are going to die. We have to get everybody off the boat and look, there's a body out there. Victor's eating an apple. Cause you know, he's a Hemsworth. He's got to keep his figure. He only eats like fruit and vegetables. So <laughs> he walks over and looks over the rail and there's a whole bunch of seagulls there. So he throws his apple at him. They fly away and there's nothing there. Um, so he's pretty convinced that, yeah, Jess, you're just a little bit whacked. Um, and he very condescendingly says, I'm going to do you a favor. I'm not going to tell anybody this happened. She decides to get physical with the whole thing and grab him and be like, no, I'm telling you this is the truth. And she pushes him against the wall, at which point there's a spike at just about head level coming out of the wall to like hang something on. And it goes straight into his skull. Yeah, it's action star Jess again. Yes. And press uh, the button in her back and she <laughs> Yeah. Victor looks a little surprised. A little taken aback. Yeah. And then Jess is like, Oh, I'm really sorry. Bye. I'm gonna I'm gonna leave now. <laughs> she makes some very questionable decisions constantly. She does. She does. Uh, like like I questioned right then when they were coming on the boat. Okay, I gotta let him know. I gotta save him. Blah blah blah. 
but I don't want to approach him and talk to him. I'm like, screw that. I would have been going down the steps like, hey, look, there's two of us. Let me explain. <laughs> you know, this is a problem. Yeah. And she doesn't even really do that until far later in the movie. Yeah. Where she tries yeah. to like, so she goes down, uh, she's like freaking out. She's basically just running around the ship. Um, and she ends up in a darker sub part of the ship and finds uh, pieces of paper lying all over the floor. And she picks them up and it says something like, um, they all have to die. Yeah. Every one of these pieces of paper looks identical. Like it was just copies. So she grabs a piece of paper off of a pad nearby and a pen and writes, they all have to die and then looks. And she's basically made that exact duplicate. Crumples the paper up. So I had already figured out at this point that this is a time loop, timey wimey kind of thing going on. Right. (laughs) But I thought, Oh, well, you know, it's getting started. It wasn't until I saw the giant pile of paper. I'm like, Oh no, it's not just getting started. This has been going on for a while. Yeah, we're in the middle of it. Uh, she crawls over. Uh, she like turns and she's over top of this grate. And she looks down the grate and there's uh, a pile of lockets with a picture of her son at the bottom of the grate. And as she's looking at it, the one she's wearing gets caught on it and falls down. Just to reinforce, you've been here several times before. <laughs> right. This is also where the armory is. She grabs herself a shotgun. And because a bag. I don't want to talk to my friends. I'd much rather shoot them. <laughs> At this point, she is still get everyone off the ship, Jess. She is not. I'm going to kill everybody, Jess. She's taking the shotgun because I still don't know that she knows who's wearing the hood. Who's running oh. around wearing the bag. So True. she wants protection for herself. She grabs that hood. And walks down the hall. Um, she's walking towards the uh, towards the ballroom, and she sees in the ballroom herself. She sees a noise made, sees herself hide, sees herself step out, and sees Victor walk in. And she knows Victor's about to strangle herself. So at this point, she just walks in with the gun, and everyone else in the room is like, "What?" Victor's holding a hand out towards her because she's got a gun um, trying to keep his distance from her. And um, the other Jess is understandably shocked. Yeah. Upset. (laughs) Shocked by this. She turns and runs. Yeah. That's her major decision quite often is I'm going to run away because that will fix it. Yeah. So, uh, my daughter found a flaw in the movie while we were watching it, and she's like, there's no way she's running around that ship in those wedges. I'll leave it to her to find, figure that out. But that becomes important eventually, which is insane. The shoes become important. Um, Victor just decides he's going to sit on the floor and process this and, you know, bleed some more, because that's what he's really good at right now. Um, so she hears the gunshot. She heads to the theater. As soon as she walks in, Sally's about to go all Karen on her. You shot her. And she sees she's got a shotgun. Now Karen's not quite so brave. And then she walks in and just turns right to the balcony and shoots at the hooded figure. Saving 
Downey, and Sally. So she has managed to break the loop in my mind. It's like, oh, things are different now. She and Downey and Sally start heading down the hall. Um, she hears a noise. Somehow they end up separated. And she gives the gun to Downey. Tells him, just shoot anybody you see who's not me. And then as she's going to investigate whatever it is, she's like, no, you know what? Don't even really trust me. And then she leaves. Around the corner comes her again. And this is just three. And this is the, uh, this is the time when they overlap. And this is the mystery, Jess. Jess Three's whole goal is to kill everyone. Jess Three has scars on her face. Um, she's very she's no longer the uh, demure, obsequious character. She is like, follow me, follow me if you want to live. I mean, I'm thinking like Sarah Connor type deal. Yeah, she's very. Uh determined and focused and angry and Downey and Sally decide to follow her. Of course. Now here's the mystery about Jess three. We follow Jess. till she becomes Jess one. And then we see her become Jess two. And then we see the end of Jess two's journey, which is off of the boat. Where did Jess three come from? In the script. Yes. Um, <laughs> so there's lots of different possible solutions for this. One of them is um, when she interrupted Victor from strangling the other Jess and that other Jess ran off. Maybe that's who eventually becomes Jess three. Or maybe this just, maybe there's lots of Jesses th- th- throughout the ship. That is how I kind of took it. That This is, you know, the 50th loop or whatever, and it's been looping. So there's multiple iterations all kind of happen because this ship is like the Nexus that it's not a time loop. That's linear. Like we understand time. We, you know, we've heard all that all the time. Uh, it's, it's all this stuff is kind of always happening at once. It keeps building on itself. So every change still leads to the same end result, but there's just more and more, of these all looped on each other. Now that brought up uh, my daughter's other comment. She's like, where are all the bodies? <laughs> and it turns out that Jess three is about to answer that for us. Yeah. Um, she takes Sally and Downey back to room two thirty seven. Um, They walk in and they're like, Oh, what's going on? She's got this bag and she gets into the bag, pulls out a knife and slices Downey's throat and then turns and stabs Sally. Sally manages to get away. Um, and as she's getting away, she runs into Jess two and she sees Jess two and freaks out and runs away from Jess two who follows her. Once again, she, trying to explain everything poorly. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, Cause she's still just two is still, let's just get everybody off the boat. Jess three, on the other hand, goes about the business of making sure this keeps going. She dips her fingers in Victor's blood and writes, or Downey's blood and writes on the mirror, go to the theater. Uh, She disposes of Downey's body by throwing it off the boat. She throws Greg's body off the boat. 
And that's pretty much the end of Jess 3. We don't really see Jess 3 much after that point. Um, as Sally is running away from Jess 2, she ends up in the radio room. She makes a call. You've got to help us. She's killing everybody. You hear Greg on the other end. Um, Jess so finally, two- all the little things are coming together. Yes. Where we found us as the viewer get to see it in the movie. Correct. Which, uh, you know, if you're paying attention at this point, you're getting it all, but it's really starting to all piece together. Uh, here. It is gelling very well. And they did think of everything, you know, where'd the bodies it, go? Yeah. Hey, you've got psycho Jess here. Who's more than willing to clean things up. Um, and one of the things I saw was pointing out that there are three different Jesses on board the ship. Again, the triangle theme, you have three, so you have three personalities oh, of Jess on the ship. That's excellent. I love that. Yeah. Real quick as an aside, yeah. I think the next Halloween movie needs to be a time loop movie like this. I'm surprised they haven't done it yet. Absolutely. Why haven't they? <laughs> yeah. Um, Jess, too, hears Sally on the radio, um, catches up with Sally. Sally's crawling up these stairs, and Jess is following her, still trying to explain and uh, this is one of the legitimately shocking scenes in the movie. Uh, Jess comes up the stairs and she has this shock look on her face. The camera pans back and there's just a deck full of dead Sally's. And there are seagulls just, you know, enjoying Imagine. a little bit of Sally. Yeah. Uh, Sally, despite all the dead copies of herself, continues to crawl to the nearest wall. And is more concerned about Jess. <laughs> Yes. And the dead bodies of herself. <laughs> right. Um, she sits there. She accuses Jess of being a horrible person and then proceeds to die. It's at this point that um, Jess is like, oh, wait, everybody needs to die. Because when Sally dies, she hears the triangle approaching again. So this time she decides she's going to throw on the suit. And just make sure that everybody dies. And she's so, not. The, the earlier question, where'd the number three come from? Correct. Uh, so essentially, we got introduced to her, but now is when she's being created. Uh, so I, again, I took it as these loops are on top of each other. Right. This Jess, however, I'm still calling her Jess too. Okay. Because Jess 3, who's out to kill everybody, I don't want to say she's enjoying it, but she's good at it. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, that move slicing down his neck and just the cold stab to Sally's abdomen, didn't think twice. It was just... If you do like Halloween, this part of it feels a lot like Halloween. Yes. Yes. Jess 3 is Michael Myers. She doesn't talk. She just right. brutally acts. Right. Jess, too, on the other hand, gets the gun. She grabs the bag. She goes to the theater. And when Greg shows up at the theater in the balcony, she puts the bag on her head and holds him at gunpoint. And she's not sure she's going to shoot him. She's got her finger on the trigger. And she's basically, like, shaking. She's really nervous, upset by the whole thing. And Greg is trying to talk his way out of it. He's like, we'll get off the boat. I don't care. Just let us go, whatever. 
and he looks down at the goddamn shoes and notices those wedges that you couldn't possibly run on, according to my daughter. And um, he's like, Jess? And that's what finally forces her to pull the trigger. Yeah. Once she does that, once she pulls the trigger, she goes ahead and does all the other executing parts. She shoots Downey, she shoots Sally, and she hunts her own self down. She gets herself down on the ground. She's got the gun to her. Again, she's hesitant because she's still just two at heart. She's not the psychotic killer. She's looking at herself, begging for her own life, saying, I've got a son. Eventually, I don't even know that she would have shot her if she hadn't grabbed for the barrel. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's, It's something forces her into action. Her grabbing for the barrel forces her into action. She shoots. Um, they end up fighting. She's there with the bag on her head. They're doing the duel with the heavy wrench thing versus the axe. And then she is the one who gets knocked overboard and falls off the water. And I'm like, there it is. Loop broken. Roll credits. But no. Ah, you couldn't be more wrong. We still have um, the whole opening sequence that doesn't make sense yet. Yes, to to solve. She wakes up, just like from her dream. There's surf. There's something being tossed in the waves. It turns out it's the coveralls that she was wearing. She's lying in the sand. There's crabs crawling around in the sand. She walks out across the beach, finds a road, hitchhikes, gets a ride back to her neighborhood. She's sprinting down the road to her neighborhood until she gets to roughly where her house is. And now she realizes something's amiss because everything is just as it was that morning. Jack is out watering his yard. Her sprinkler's going. Her car's in the driveway. Her car's in the driveway. She walks up and peeks in the window, and her son, Tommy, is there painting his picture. And if you really think about it, you got to ask yourself, wait a second. She was that concerned about her son. She said he was at school, but she goes home. Yeah. She doesn't, and so there's a part of her that knows something is still going on and a part of her that knows there's no reason to go anywhere else to look for her son. Right. And while she's looking at him through the window, he glances over and sees her and it startles him because she's actually in the kitchen. What's she doing looking in through the window? And he spills his paint. And at this point, we realize that the original Jess is kind of a bitch because she loses it, slaps him, um, and is telling him uh, he's a piece of shit, just like his dad. Yeah. She's cleaning up the floor. Totally changes the feelings for Jess and the opening sequence. Yes. And it harkens back to that where Greg's like, you're a good mom. Really, Greg? She's not. Yeah. Um, he, he's just trying to get get to know her. <laughs> right. Jess, too, on the other hand, seeing this happens, she has made up her mind to do something about this. She's and very angry. Right. She's very angry with herself. And this is one of those kind of things where you had that piece of cake at 11 o'clock last night and you're pissed at yourself about it. You could always come back in time and be like Jess, right? Be like, I'm fixing this. So she rings the doorbell. 
Um, the original Jess goes and answers the door, doesn't see anyone there, is like, Jack, did you see who rang my doorbell? The whole time she's having this conversation, Jess, too, is in the backyard, opens the shed, and comes out with a hammer and a lot of determination. The camera goes back to original Jess, who walks back into her house. She walks into uh, her bedroom, probably to change because she got paint on her dress. And out of nowhere, in comes Jess, too, with the hammer, who promptly bludgeons herself to death with the hammer. Right there. Nope. No monologue. No anything nope. else. Just bam. She, bam. She's learned from past movies, at least. That's right. Tommy sees this happen. He's upset. So Jess, too, goes over and holds him and comforts him. And she's crying and he's crying. And she says, it's just a bad dream. Sometimes you see things that aren't really there. Okay. Yeah. She takes her dead body, puts it into a garment bag, stuffs it full of clothes, zips it closed and throws it in the trunk of her car. So she wasn't really packing to go on this trip in the boat. Right. (laughs) Right. So all the scenes that you saw where she was packing the stuff and driving off, that's actually just two from the start of the movie here at the end, which theoretically, I guess could be just 3,722. That's right. She's driving down the road. She's trying to have a conversation to calm her son down. And I can understand that when my kids are upset, you know, you want to do whatever you can to help them feel better. She, she, she I, I'm not that person anymore. I'm, I'm going to be a good mom. Trust me. It is not the same. And I took this to be, you know, she she's heading to the boat with her son this time. Last time she didn't have him for whatever reason, but now she's because she pulled the the note off the fridge again, and it almost had the feel, you know, in movies. Oh, yes, I can do that. That'll I can fix things now. That's how I took all of that. That's really funny because my thought was she's just getting rid of the body, which yeah, you could do. You know, have to do that too. You know, that's just a side quest, right? <laughs> As she's driving along, uh, a bird runs into her windshield and it upsets Tommy a lot. She pulls over. Um, she's like, I'll get rid of it. She grabs the bird again. An albatross would have been like icing on the cake, but you know, that's fine. <laughs> Heather was the albatross. She was Very the human much. sacrifice. Yeah. Um, she picks up the dead bird, walks over to toss the bird over the railing and tosses the bird over the railing and stands there for a minute. And the camera pans down. And there's this giant pile of dead seagulls. Oh, man, we are not free of this yet. (laughs) We are still in the damn loop. And she realizes it. And that's, there's the whole catatonic, I've almost given up Jess from the beginning. She gets in the car. She starts driving off. There's a marching band practicing out on the field. And what are they playing? Anchors Anchors away. away. And that's distracting to her. And she's trying to calm Tommy down. And as she's doing it, a semi-truck is coming the opposite direction. And she's left to center. And they hit. Her car flips. And the next thing you know, you see Jess 2 standing there by the side of the road next to the car. You see the original Jess lying out there. Because she got tossed all around in the accident. And you see dead Tommy lying out there. And there's a guy standing behind her going, wow, there's really nothing they can do for that kid now. And turns out he's just a taxi cab driver who was there. And he just stopped. Now, knowing how these stories go in ancient 
times, and we had Aeolus and Sisyphus. Who was the driver? I, I really, I, I did not take him to be just a taxi cab driver, especially when he says, well, you know, there's nothing they can do for him. He is another god, but I couldn't figure out who. So, again, I'm not going to take credit for this. I saw this in a comment somewhere. Uh, he is Charon. Okay. The, the fairy man who takes Duh, the I lost got souls. That. I should yes. have got that. Then that's perfect. Yeah. Uh, I love and that. It, it becomes even more apparent here in a second. Um, he offers her a ride and she says, yes, take me to the harbor because if she can go back and cause the loop to happen again, this time she'll do something different <laughs> and change her behavior. Because that's how this works. Right. Because people change. So he gives her a ride to the harbor. He stops and she goes to get out. She's fallen asleep. She goes to get out of the car and he's like, I'll keep the meter running. You'll come back, right? Because you got to pay the ferryman. The... She, she lies to him and says, I'll be, well, I guess she's not lying. I'll be back. Um, yeah. Uh, but that's uh, perfect. I love that. I yep. actually like that a little bit better now. Yep. So she gets out of the car. She runs into Victor. Uh, they like bump into each other and he's like, Jess. And she's like, do I know you? And she seems out of sorts. And he's like, I feel like you do. You know, Greg's always talking about you. And where did you bring your son? She's like, he's in school. And she's like the whole dissociative Jess from the start. And they walk down the gangplank only for the loop to start all over again. Yeah. It's definitely a depressing ending. It is. And on the one hand, it plays, um, it plays, into the whole Sisyphus thing very yeah. well, where yeah. she's being punished. Um, on the other hand, it also is this great analogy for, uh, you know, you're dating this guy who's horrible and you think you're going to change him, but people don't change. Yeah. Because Jess is trying to change and she just ends up doing the exact same thing over and over and over again. Yep. And it's, it's great. Cause uh, again, most of these movies start with the first loop. This one, uh, you catch on, it doesn't. It doesn't start with the first loop, and it doesn't end. You know, right. For them, it's just continuous. Yeah. It's the weird part of the loop that's not on the boat. Yeah. That's, that's about the only thing you can say about where the movie started. It, it's, it's that, like I said, choose your own adventure, where it takes you all the way back to the beginning, and you're like, oh, man. I made the wrong choice. I got to go through this story again. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So um, now you weren't crazy about the film, you said. No, I wasn't. Again, I think because uh, I've seen a plenty of time loop movies. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was like, yeah, I know what's going to happen. And it did live up to a lot of that. But honestly, sitting here talking about it, I, I, I feel a little better about it. I think the the intellectual discussion made it a little more enjoyable for me. Uh, and that could just yeah. be. I think uh, Christopher Smith did a really good job of putting stuff in there. Yeah, it, he if, did. If he's going to be guilty of anything, it was that he, and so many people do this, he took a tried and true um, format, you know, the horror loop concept. And, you know, he just made another one. And if you're yeah. going to do that, it's got to be something crazy outstanding to really rise above the pack. And I will say, you know, of all the horror loop movies that I just listed, this is probably like the top one of the top three. I'm not even going to say it was the best. 
But it was the first of a genre that I came across when I was on this kind of organic finding horror movie kind of thing. And, and for me, even all the things like the, the super action star Jess and that there wasn't a lot of eye rolling going, Oh dear God, are you kidding me? Oh man. It, it did. Uh, you know, I gave it a chance and it, it all gelled and made sense and it all explained itself very well. Uh, so, I mean, it was a fairly masterful work in, in the time loop. You know, I can yeah. appreciate that if nothing else. Yeah. So. Yeah. So there it is. Uh, I think, you know, who's going to want to see this movie. I, I think it's a serviceable, if you like the kind of, I mean, we kind of solved the who done it for you, but if you want to watch it being done, um, you know, and, and you enjoy this kind of slow burn, slight action kind of thing, this is a, a pretty enjoyable little flick to watch. Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, Dean Haglin on chill pack says belated spoiler alert. Um, but how do you think it would have done if it had been released in the U S I think this would have been, uh, one of those middle of the road horror movies. I think instead of, uh, let me look at my numbers again, real quick, instead of hitting 1.3 million, it might've gone to like 1.8. It would, it still would have never come close to, to matching budget. Million. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, I, just I because it it wasn't, there was no star power to it at the time when it was released. And, um, it was not, it wasn't some media darling. You know what I mean? Yeah. Blair, Witch did not have any star power, but it had a crazy great marketing strategy. Yes. Um, and so many of the other ones like, um, antichrist had star power. But it was so over the top, nobody should watch this movie, you know, kind of thing. But that just being that far over the top and coming out at like the the movie, you know, festivals and things, that was enough to project it into, hey, no, we got to check this thing out. Or you think you could hack it? You know, let's go watch it kind of thing. Um, Paranormal Activity is the same kind of deal where it was like there was no star power there. But it was so identifiable. You know, these are just like the cameras in your own house kind of thing. And right. Well, you know, found footage, you can't have stars. You can't have people that are recognizable. It totally defeats the illusion of what they're trying to portray. And I remember you mentioned Blair Witch. I remember the story about uh, these guys going to work and going, oh, man, I- I'm so sorry. I heard about your niece. And this guy's like, what about my niece? It's like, well, uh, you know, she died. No, she didn't. You know, yeah. he did not know what was going on, but everybody that knew him thought it was real. So that that's what made Blair Witch such a mega hit at the time. And and there's a lot to be said for that kind of stuff. Like Blair Witch came out and the marketing was so brilliantly done for it. I went to see the movie in the theater with my father-in-law of all people who hated it. I remember it. you telling me that. <laughs> um And I left and I was like, that was a pretty cool experience. Just the whole thing. The more times I watch the movie, the more annoying it gets. Yeah. Yeah. It's Um, a one-time deal and you have to not know what's going on. Yes. And I think that was kind of the thing with Triangle for me too. That's why it hit me so hard was because I was expecting this. That's true. And I got this, which was completely unexpected and kind of a new genre for the horror area kind of deal. Yeah. Cool. 
Well, yeah. there you go. So another good movie All right. to check out for people. The uh, Our next movie is going to be radically different. And yes. it is a movie that is recommended by um, everybody. Like Guillermo del Toro. This is one of his top five movies. Uh, anybody who's anybody in horror is like, oh, no, that's that's a masterpiece of a film right there. So and it's not even Hitchcock. It's not. And so it's it's the innocence, which is based off of Henry James Turner, the screw. We'll talk more about it. So it's the first movie we've got based on a book. It's yep. the first movie we've got in black and white. Uh, and it's also one of the the first movie we're doing and probably one of the few that has a million other you know iterations of this movie. Oh, There've yeah. Been quite a few. Oh, it's it's insane. I don't even think it was the first. It, you, we'll talk about it next time. Yeah, we'll talk about it next time. There's just a preview. Yeah, there you go. I got to watch it, so we got to do that soon. So. All righty. Later, Enjoy man. It. Take it easy. The creature slips from perception. Pay attention. It will rise again.